made possible by the generous support of our listeners. Thank you. The time is 10.02 and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Democracy Forum with your host, Ann Luther of the League of Women Voters Down East is up next. Good morning. Welcome to the Democracy Forum. This is the last program in our 2017 series featuring topics in Maine's participatory democracy, encouraging citizens to take an active role in government and politics. We'll be returning with a new lineup monthly beginning in February 2018. I hope you'll join us again next year. This program is a project of the League of Women Voters Down East, produced in cooperation with WERU-FM. Our conversation today is 10 Months In, Taking Stock in Maine. We're going to talk about what's changed in Maine since the 2016 presidential election, how have the policies of the new administration affected affected Maine politics and people. Um, We had hoped to take your calls during the second half of the show, but we're using both our phone lines for guests today, so no listener calling, regrettably. This is Ann Luther from the League of Women Voters of Maine. I'll be your host for the Democracy Forum, and let me introduce our guests. On the phone today is Hannah Pingree. Hannah, a Democrat, was the 99th Speaker of the House in Maine. She served in the House from 2002 to 2010. Today, she is co-host of the Maine event on Maine Public Television. Welcome, Hannah. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Also on the phone today, I think and hope, not quite, I'll introduce him and he'll join us in a minute, uh, Josh Tardy. Josh is a Republican who also served in the Maine House from 2002 to 2010, including two terms as a House Minority Leader. He's now a prominent lobbyist and attorney and former chair of the 2016 Trump campaign in Maine. We'll be welcoming Josh in a minute once we get his phone line connected. But let's get started anyway. It's been called the biggest upset in U.S. political history. The presidential election of 2016 is one whole year behind us, and the Trump administration has now been in place for about 10 months. If nothing else, it certainly represents a change in style and tone from what came before. But have there been more substantive changes as well? What changes have actually landed for the people of Maine? Has the new administration changed public discourse? Is it uniting or dividing the electorate? How are Maine people responding? So, Hannah, let's put it to you first while we wait for Josh. Reviewing the new administration's official actions over the last 10 months, which do you think have had the most significant impact in Maine? And uh, that is a difficult question to answer. Um, I think in many ways, I think what has not changed um, I think we've, we are, if I think back to, a, you know, two years ago, before we were in the middle of the major um, election, I think about the politics of this country and the direction we were heading, and everything just seems angrier, uh, wilder, less stable. Um, I think there has been a major change in tone and in... Uh, sort of the politics of this country and the direction we're heading. Obviously, the reality is that the Congress has not passed anything, so there have been certainly changes because of rule changes, because of appointments, because of, um, you know, inaction of Congress, like the Children's Health Insurance Program, that have changed policy on the ground. I think 
we are just about to feel the effects of some of those decisions, whether it's, you know, decisions the EPA has made um, about the Clean Power Plan or the lack of reauthorization of the Children's Health Insurance Program or new judicial nominations. But I think I think the biggest change is just a tone in our, our the change of tone in our politics and obviously the change even in international foreign policy in the United States role. And that has it it's it's having, I think, certainly ramifications on all of our anxiety levels. Um, but the you know, the actual until Congress is able to pass something, um, you know, the 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 legal changes have been few. Um, I believe Josh is on the phone with us now. Are you there, hey, Josh? Yes. Good morning. Folks. Oh, terrific. Sorry, I was late. Technical difficulty. Yeah, we've had a couple of those already this morning. He was early. I can actually attend. <laughs> just... Contrary to my last name, I actually tried to be early. So. <laughs> well, um, let me repeat the question I just asked Hannah and um, let let you have a crack at it too, Josh. Um, we were talking about um, the the changes that we've seen and felt under the Trump administration, um, that some of it is style and tone, but have there been more substantive changes? And I was asking um, Hannah, now I'll ask you, what what do you think have been the most significant changes with an impact in Maine since Trump was elected a year ago? Sure. So, uh, well, I mean, Maine and, and across the country, we, we know that we're having a, uh, an economic boost. The, the economy is, is doing well. And uh, some of that is related to uh, the, the, the Trump administration. And, uh, you know, I think it was Jim Carville that said in the Clinton versus Bush campaign, it's the economy stupid and it's the economy right here that, that we're seeing the, uh, you know, the biggest change as a result of the change in administration. Uh, the, you know, the, the stock market was stagnant for the three years prior to Trump. Uh, it, it, it jumped when he became president-elect Trump, and it's gone up 3,000 points since he's been in office. Some of that, I think, is a result of his environmental regulatory policies and the rescission of some executive orders. I think we've seen a streamlined, more efficient permitting process. I think that's created a level of comfort in the manufacturing sector. Uh, and and so we're seeing the benefits of that. I also think that, that we're more secure. Our borders are more secure. The the uh, amount of illegal border crossings is down by, I think, 75 percent, and uh, and I think that has an overall impact, makes us safer, more secure, as, especially as we fight the, the heroin epidemic in the, in the country. So what about that, Hannah? The stock market is up. There's no arguing with it. People's 401ks are up. Everybody's happy about that. Does the Trump administration get credit and regulatory rollbacks making businesses competent and happy? What do you think? Uh, Well, I mean, I love Josh, but we we disagree on the impacts of the the Trump administration. I think that the stock market, I I certainly could not give you a good reason exactly how it, why it is up and why it is down. But I, I do think that psychologically, a lot of business people like Trump. A lot of corporations like Trump. They like his tax plan. They like some of his health insurance changes. They like less government spending. They like less regulation. So that probably is accurate, that both practically and psychologically, Wall Street does like some things that Donald Trump um, has done. I think they're concerned. You've seen a couple dips in, in some of the kind of international uh, some of the chaos has been created on issues like North Korea. Um, but I would say that uh, 
for, for working Mainers, for people uh, around this country, the sort of instability of health care, the instability of jobs, bringing back manufacturing, you know, the, the tax implications of this tax bill be, being debated, what they will mean for middle class people. I think you're really seeing two sides to this. Now, Wall Street and big companies might love Trump, but I don't think middle class Americans are loving him. And that's pretty clear in his, you know, current approval ratings. I mean, you even see new Fox News poll out of Alabama that has Obama more popular than Donald Trump. Uh, I was I, I read that several times to try to figure out if that was really true. <laughs> he is fair. Trump is still fairly popular in Alabama, but Obama is more popular. Um, well, I, but, I really can't wrap my mind around that. But I, but I think, in, in fairness, I think Trump's popularity uh, will be positively impacted once Congress can can deal with with tax reform and and help sort of deliver on the the, the Trump promise of substantive tax reform. And, and I completely understand that the the tax reform and how it's going to impact middle-class Mainers, uh, the devil really is in the details and, and, you know, how it is related to a, a potential uh, repeal and replace of, of Obamacare is, is major. And, and, you know, we, we know that uh, Senator Collins will be a very key player in that debate. But if, uh, in fact, tax reform is delivered and, uh, and working class Mainers get an extra, you know, four to nine thousand bucks into their uh, to their coffers as a result of a significant tax reform package. Uh, it, it's going to have a real impact for for Maine people. But that's still lying in the future, and I don't want to um, s- slide by the improved business climate until we talk just for a minute about. Yeah, I know it's popular on Wall Street, but how is that really affecting Main Street businesses here in Maine? Is that same sense of confidence and um, optimism by regulatory rollbacks, is that having an effect on main businesses too? Yeah, absolutely. It gives them a sense of confidence and, and the same morale that affects Wall Street has to affect the mom and pop business owners in the state of Maine. And, and you know, it is the United States of America and Maine is a member. And so if, uh, you know, under the, the notion that that, that we're all in this together. If America's economy is up, and, and we know Maine's economy has, has performed well under Governor LePage, I, I mean, I, I think we're seeing positive effects of the change from Obama to Trump. Are you seeing that too, Hannah? Well, I mean, actually, I have a question for Josh. I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, but I mean, the regulatory rollbacks, I mean, obviously, there are major environmental decisions, whether to pull out of tariffs, clean power plan, but I mean, I'd be interested in examples of regulatory rollbacks that have actually already helped sort of middle any main business really i mean obviously aside from a few power plants like who is what specifically is helping it's a great question and i is it okay for her to ask that i gotta know the rules so no so fair fair question i think i think from a business standpoint what i've heard and i've been involved in 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 some of the, the the search process for for people uh in in these regulatory positions uh, from, from what I hear, Hannah, the, the very fact that there's going to be an endpoint to a permitting process gives uh, businesses and, and those people doing projects in, in, in Maine, for example, uh, more confidence in those people who are investing, uh, you know, regionally. And uh, knowing that there will be an actual decision made uh, on a permit application versus just being mired in the uh, the, the 
spiral of the mid-level bureaucracy is, is an example of a Trump action that's had a positive impact on at least the business psyche of, of people who are making investments here in Maine. Is it, and you'd be talking mostly like a larger project that would require federal environmental permitting or right. You know, as, as you know, I mean, for example, if you're working on a like a port project and, and you need to uh, you need to have the stakeholders such as the Army Corps of Engineers, the EPA and the local DEP, there has to be an endpoint so that businesses who are investing those dollars know that they're actually going to get a decision on whatever impact they might or might not have on the environment so that they can actually have uh, a robust plan to invest and, and know that they might get a return. It's going to inform those uh, investment decisions and, and help move projects along. So let's take a brief station break and come back and pick up the second topic, which was um, that, that Josh mentioned, was, was immigration and secure borders. But let me remind our listeners that you're tuned today to the Democracy Forum on WERU. This is Ann Luther of the League of Women Voters of Maine. Our topic today is 10 months in, taking stock in Maine. We're talking about changes in Maine since the Trump election in 2016. Our guests this morning are Hannah Pingree, a Democrat, former Speaker of the House in Maine, now co-host of the Maine event on Maine Public Television, and Josh Tardy, a Republican lobbyist and attorney who served as chair of the 2016 Trump campaign in Maine. Um, So um, Josh postulated that immigration had been one of the reforms that had had a positive effect in Maine. And um, what about that, Hannah? What about immigration policy and its enforcement and effect right here? Well, I think uh, I think like a lot of the issues uh, involving Donald Trump, it's extremely polarized, and the issue of uh, refugees and immigration has been an issue that Trump has run on. He's been very aggressive. He's been blocked by the courts uh, for the most part, not entirely, but for the most part. And it's an issue where, I mean, personally and, and Democrats and I think a lot of even business owners around the country are very concerned about how hard-lined he's been about immigration. Um, I think you could certainly question, are we safer? Have we really closed our borders? I mean, clearly there's been a crackdown. You've heard a lot about the ICE agents. You don't hear about it as much in Maine, but around the country you hear um, about people being turned away, coming in at airports. And... Clearly, there are there's concern about terrorism, and there's a need for a more watchful eye on some fronts. But then you hear countless stories of people who've gone to, who are you know in universities in the United States, interested in contributing to our economy. People who are being kicked out, who've lived here for 30 years, who've been running businesses. You've certainly heard examples of that happening in Maine, but you hear it much more around the country. I mean, Maine has immigrants. We have refugee populations. But compared to many other places in the country, we are still one of the whitest states. We, we are not very diverse, and our economy is, is actually suffering because of that. So I, mean, I feel that many of Trump's immigration and refugee crackdowns have been inhumane, not well thought out, and racially motivated, and the courts have agreed on that. So I think this is just an example of another area where Trump has been extremely polarizing quite aggressive um, and has been aggressive using um, the courts and it has not. Obviously, there's been very little activity in the, in the Congress on this. Uh, Josh, I think where, where we heard it up here and we're 
near Bar Harbor was over the summer when people were having trouble getting enough seasonal workers in. Has the immigration policy of the new administration um, closed uh, a stream of foreign workers that way? Yeah, I mean, I think it's had an impact, and I think we've seen our, you know, our restaurant, and our tourism-based industries that that rely upon that have have had some struggles. But but the fact of the matter is, is that Mainers want strong borders. They want a strong national security, and uh, you know, I don't think it's a Democrat or Republican issue. I don't think it should be polarizing. I think everybody should want a strong border and strong border enforcement. And we talk about this opioid ep- epidemic, this heroin epidemic. In, in Maine. And so Mainers should really care about how that southern border is secured. If, if you believe the data that says that almost 80 percent of America's heroin supply comes from across the, the southern border, uh, you know, that's, you know, if, if we're uh, enforcing the laws and we're uh, putting the adequate resources to secure our borders and, and we've prevented illegal crossings into the country by 76 percent downturn, then, then that that executive action, that leadership by President Trump, is is moving the needle and and will ultimately have a positive impact on the heroin epidemic in the country, and it will ultimately have an impact in Maine. So, what so, about that, Hannah? I mean, well, is I it- mean, uh, obviously nobody would disagree. I mean, opioids is probably uh, one of our most significant challenges in Maine, and uh, certainly across the country, and stopping drugs from coming into the United States, securing our borders from drug dealers and, you know, influx of of heroin or other opiates, clearly that would be a goal I think we could all feel good about and nobody would disagree with. You know, it's the 30-year Hispanic resident who's who's had, um, who's been in the United States, run a small business, their children have grown up here. It's the, you know, the children, the dreamers, those kinds of those issues and then sort of the the clear like if you're from this country you cannot come here no matter what whether or not you're studying at MIT you know becoming an engineer wanting to work at a US uh, company or you know whether your whole family was slaughtered in Syria and you're looking for refuge I mean there are there are examples where the policy has been so significant that it does not seem like the America uh, that we all know and love. So I think there are certainly, of course, there are examples of terrorists, of drugs, of things we want um, Homeland Security and our immigration policies to be more aggressive on. But there are obviously people and millions of people who are being impacted negatively and portions of the U.S. and Maine economy that are being impacted. I mean, Josh, he, he certainly did agree that the impact on main businesses um, was pretty significant this summer. You had tourism businesses that were not able to run at full capacity. You have agricultural businesses. So it, it, Maine has a shortage of workers, um, and we certainly have a shortage of workers willing to work in some of these industries. So that is a challenge that um, immigration has, has helped, and having these temporary foreign workers has helped with. Clearly, there are also other solutions, but they you know, the main economy has been impacted by this, these sort of, some of these policies. And I, and I agree. I mean, I think, you know, policy has to have some flexibility. It can't be a, a one-size-fits-all, but, but you do have to establish a hard line. And I just reject the notion that it's polarizing that Donald Trump is telling 
border agents to do their job, that he's telling law enforcement folks across America to just do your job, and, and people find somehow that that's polarizing. I actually think it's what needs to be done, and it's going to move the needle in a positive way. I mean, I, the only I guess adding another angle to this in that, I mean, I know that this is not where you would be coming from, Josh, but the Donald Trump has, there have been racial angles that have obviously been somewhat domestic, you know, in terms of what's happening in, happened in Charlottesville. But it, it seems like his immigration policy has also had racial undertones. And obviously the entire stirring up of these issues, which I'm sure also played out because of Barack Obama, our first black president. I mean, that was a pretty, some of this, some of this racial, um, debate slash uh, challenges and challenges with the police, but I do think the immigration issue, Trump does seem to play into that, which is not helpful. I mean, that might be how it's perceived from, from, from you, Hannah, but I would just respectfully disagree. I don't think that, uh, I don't think that being, making us more secure is racist. I think it's patriotic. And, uh, and and I just reject that it's racist in any way. Well, and I mean, it's one thing about making secure borders. It's another thing about choking off workforce, right, and um, having a policy that may or may not be flexible enough to allow workers that we need to enter. And I think that's where I'm trying to figure out how much of this is rhetoric and how much of it is actual policy and how much of it is actually landing in Maine um, and that this workforce thing seems to be that aspect of the immigration question that is having an effect on Maine workers, Maine um, university attendance, and um, seasonal labor. Yeah, supply. and I mean, and I think and, that, and honestly, I think Josh, and, Josh and I agree on that issue. Yeah. And you certainly had right. Susan Collins and Angus King and Poliquin and and my mom Shelley Pingree. I mean, all of them were on the same page on those issues, as was the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, as were immigration organizations. So there is some agreement. I mean, this issue, I would still say, is, is quite polarized in this country, but the issue of, of its impact on the economy and, I mean, you, Donald Trump himself got a fair amount of criticism. His own resorts utilized these foreign workers, and he got some of the um, H-1-2B visas when a lot of sort of Maine is sometimes challenged because our season starts later. So a lot of the permits are used up by the time our summer season rolls around. So the president himself very much utilizes this program, and yet it's really been shrunk, which obviously has impacted Maine's tourism season and our many of our businesses. Go ahead, Josh. Chime in. No, I mean, I, listen, I, I'm, I'm confident that the congressional delegation is on it, and, and I'm, I'm particularly confident that Senator Collins and, and her ability to work with the administration and, uh, and figuring out the nuances and the flexibility that's needed to, to, to fit Maine and Maine's needs. And I think we can accomplish uh, security and, and have the, the, you know, a policy that's reasonable and flexible and, and can meet the needs of, of Maine's uh, tourism-based employers. But we would agree, I guess, that it could be done better than it was done this year. Uh, it's a work in progress. Yeah, fair enough. Um, another topic that kind of flew by earlier in the half hour was about health care. So I want to sort of open that up. Um, what would uh, what would you say, I don't know which of you wants to go first, has been the effect of the new administration on health care? Certainly attempts to repeal the Affordable Care Act outright failed, but 
um, there have been other disruptions in um, in administration and messaging. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's, it's uncertain times. It's uh, it is uh, a very uh, uh, polarizing debate there on, on the role of government and in, in the overall health insurance uh, issues. And uh, I think this is one of those major policy debates that, that we're going to see Senator Collins play a significant role in going forward. And, uh, and, and how that's linked to a tax reform package, I think, is going to be critical as well. How is that landing in for Maine people, Hannah? I mean, it, it's interesting. I, Josh and I were having, we were in the legislature together for, for all eight years, and it was before the Affordable Care Act, and we were having many of the exact same debates along somewhat partisan lines about the role of government in health care and the role of government in Medicaid. And I think, um, I mean, obviously you've got what's playing out federally, and it's extremely polarized, actually with the exception of, of Senator Collins and, and John McCain and a couple other senators here and there, they've been the ones who have kept the ACA in place. Obviously, this is a bill we, we keep thinking the repeal or the repeal and replace. It's had a major debate, and then it's died in the Senate. And this is, I can't even count now, but it's happened two or three or four very dramatic times, and it looks like we're coming up on another similar showdown um, as this has been put back in the tax bill, I mean, I think for <clears throat> Americans, it's it's very unsettling. I think while the Affordable Care Act has been uh, it's been challenged at times, it's certainly not a perfect bill, but it has helped millions of people. And I think there was had relative unpopularity during Obama's time in office, and now that people realize what they might lose, it's actually gained in support. Um, I think President Trump is doing his best. And he actually has a fair amount of power to make, to weaken the Affordable Care Act, to not advertise, to um, weaken the subsidies. And I think it's going, I mean, we will start seeing the effects next year. I mean, I've heard that people actually are still signing up in fairly high numbers, but I think the instability of, of health care is not good for businesses. It's not good for individuals. It's not really good for anybody to have this limbo status of is it going to go, is it going to stay, because what happens with the ACA, what happens with Medicaid funding has profound impacts on the entire health insurance market. It impacts our rural hospitals. It impacts all health care providers. So, I mean, I think the the fact the ACA has, has stayed intact, I believe, is a, is a positive thing. But it being weakened, it being not well supported, it's, you know, it has fraying around the edges is not good for anyone. So, Josh, um, do you know how many Maine people are covered under the Affordable Care Act? Uh, I should, but I, I don't yeah, know. I don't I mean, know I've seen the talking points, and uh, you know, and, and we we saw it in this last uh, campaign on the uh, the ballot initiative uh, just last week. And uh, you saw the various campaigns talking about how it was going to impact this, this expansion vote, but I, I don't know. Obviously. Yeah, I mean, I saw the statistics on how many more people would be covered, but right. I'm not sure how many there are today. I mean, do you agree, Josh, that that um, the Trump administration, both administratively with fiddling with the enrollment p- period and the open enrollment days and the online service up and down? I mean, would you agree with Hannah that there has been a destabilizing effect? Well, I mean, that's the nature of this whole 
very intense debate in, in, in Washington. It's very, it, it is, by, by its nature, destabilizing. And, and I think once this debate is sort of finished, and who knows when that's going to be, right? But uh, once that's finished, uh, I actually think you're going to see uh, an economic boost. I think, you know, once, once, uh, once we know where this is all going to land, uh, land, excuse me, we'll see some predictability and stability. I mean, okay. I did, the only other thing, I, the other big piece is that you mentioned the, the most recent debate in Maine. Obviously, it's playing out in Maine in that the Affordable Care Act expanded Medicaid. Almost 30 states uh, have expanded it. Maine has not. So 70,000 Mainers would receive insurance if, if that debate is resolved. Also, the, the lack of the children's health insurance program being reauthorized. I mean, that's 9 million kids across the country. I don't know the number in Maine whose health insurance is up in the air for next year. So there are many unstable forces in health insurance, and I think it's making families, the small business market, certainly the individual market, people are nervous. I, my sister was just signing up on the exchanges in Maine, and, and costs have gone up a fair amount. So it's this is an issue that needs more work and problem-solving, not destabilization, but... I'm not hopeful. I want to you know, take it. My, my view is so Obamacare as it stands is unsustainable. It's just not affordable from a, from a government standpoint, from a taxpayer standpoint. So it's going to at some point collapse under its own weight. And so the, the debate needs to occur. And, uh, and in, in my view, we need to talk about a, a repeal and replace. And, and, uh, and that's where I've got confidence that Senator Collins is going to be critical in this debate. Well, she's been supporting a bipartisan stabilization move hasn't she yeah she she has but i mean the the challenge is the replacement i mean i think this is where republicans got criticized so significantly and and i believe deserved it in that they've talked for the entire obama administration about repealing it and coming up with something better but when the time came up to come with something better they didn't have something they could garner enough republican support for and i think um senator collins and others have have actually worked towards bipartisan solutions that I don't know if I agree with them, but they at least seem like a reasonable effort. And yet the sort of right wing of the Republican Party said, no, screw it. <laughs> got to throw everybody off Medicaid. Got to really, not everybody, but really roll back these programs in a way that would significantly impact rural seniors and disabled people and poor people. So Clearly, there's not agreement among the Republican Party. Um, the Democrats really are at the fringe. They're not part of this debate right now, and, and that's what you're seeing play out again in the tax, tax debate. Okay. Well, I predict that when it comes to the health reform debate that the Democrats are going to have to be involved, and it's, uh, I, don't, I, I agree that there's sort of gridlock in the Republican caucus, and so no one ideology is going to be able to make the policy, uh, and, and so everyone, in order to get a deal, is going to have to compromise and yep. do their best to shape the policy. Okay, we're overdue for a station break here. I want to turn to trade policy when we come back, so um, stand by for a question about that. Um, you're tuned to the Democracy Forum this morning. This is Ann Luther uh, from the League of Women Voters. Our guests this morning are Hannah Pingree, a Democrat, former Speaker of the House in Maine, now co-host of the Maine event on Maine Public Television, and Josh Tardy, a Republican lobbyist and attorney who served as chair of the 2016 Trump campaign in Maine. Um, we're so pleased to have you both on the show today. We're talking about 10 months in taking stock in Maine, how 
has the new Trump administration, its policies and its regulatory reform landed in Maine? What changes are we seeing that are having an effect on Maine people? Um, Before the break, we mentioned trade. I know that the NAFTA trade agreement is being renegotiated, affecting our relationships with Canada and Mexico. And Maine uh, has a number one trading partner is Canada. How is this affecting trade between Maine businesses and Canadian businesses? I mean, I think it's – Josh may have more experience in this arena. I mean, I think it's too too early to really predict. I mean, trade is one issue where some of what Donald Trump has said is in line with what many people in Maine across the – you know, on both sides of the aisle would agree with, that some trade policies have hurt U.S. manufacturing, have hurt Maine manufacturing – and that certainly, I mean, Democrats in the legislature for years have talked about how trade agreements um, negatively impact our ability to protect workers, protect the environment. I think that the challenge is I don't think that what I, at least I've heard from Donald Trump's rhetoric is likely to fix those issues. And if anything, I, some of that cannot be fixed. I mean, there was just an article in the New York Times about the U.S.'s sort of pullback from international trade and negotiating agreements um, could potentially have a devastating effect on Maine's lobster industry. So I think, you know, while many people just, let's just buy from America, you know, screw trade, that could, that will impact U.S. businesses. It will impact Maine businesses, and it really needs to be carefully considered. I mean, there is, some trade is necessary, and, and certainly Maine's lobster industry understands that. What about it, Josh? I saw well, that article in the New York Times, I, too. I never agree with Hannah, so I, I, I feel like I should, uh, you know, this is a tough day when I, I agree with Hannah. But, uh, <laughs> it's fantastic. But, you know, this, is, this, this is an example right here where, uh, you know, the broad strokes, you know, I certainly agree with the president on, 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 on his trade policy. But, but Maine is in that unique relationship to Canada, and, and you can't just have this one-size-fits-all. I agree with Hannah that, that the trade policy is sort of an emerging negotiation, so it's, it's too early to tell how it's really going to play out. But, uh, but you look at Maine, you've got the lobster industry, you've got the, uh, the, the, the wood, the forest products industry, you have this uh, border relationship between mills uh, in the St. John Valley in Rooster County, for example, on our, on our Canadian border, who have this symbiotic relationship and sometimes competitive relationship with, with uh, mills on the Canadian side that are just 6 to 12 miles away. And so I do have confidence that uh, Secretary Ross, the Commerce Secretary and the Trump administration are going to understand that uh, that uh, you know Maine, for example, uh, has a unique relationship with Canada, and you know first you know the the Hippocratic oath is first try to do no harm, and so uh, it's it's the jury's still out there. I mean, the NAFTA renegotiations have barely gotten off the ground, right? But again, is the very fact that it's opening up. Um, destabilizing these relationships, or do we really have to wait and see what emerges from the final? It seems, I mean, Trump's rhetoric is very much uh, for shutting down a lot of trade. I don't actually believe that when push comes to shove, the trade negotiators probably will not negotiate deals that really close things up as much as um, Trump talks about. I mean, Part of even the recent challenge with the lobster industry is that um, 
many countries are sort of advancing much more rapidly in negotiating trade deals, and the U.S. is kind of being left out. So part of it is our kind of our hesitancy slash our the pace at which these trade agreements are being negotiated is already hurting some industry in, in the state of Maine. But I, I don't actually believe that some of Trump's rhetoric will really be played out when it comes to negotiating because I, I don't think our, our – I think it would be devastating for our economy. Last word I mean, on he the he certainly trade likes to talk about the art of the deal, and, uh, and, and I think the emphasis that the administration has placed on negotiations is, is to – you know, the, the term is bilateral trade agreements, you know, sort of one-on-one with, with, with other countries versus multilateral. And, uh, and uh, but, you know, they're in negotiations. I think any time you're in these negotiations, it's inherently destabilizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but we'll see how it ends. Well, um, so I'm sort of going down the list of the cabinet positions and the departments and trying to think which other ones we should take up in the time that's left to us. And once sort of steps out here is um, Ryan Zinke at Interior because of our um, our monument question. Uh, what effect has that had on Maine? Would you say, Josh? Well, I mean, I mean, he's been in Maine. He's he's been part of the listening sessions, and and that uh, that debate, uh, uh, you know, the national park, the national monument debate, is one that uh, it, it it changes based on what town and what coffee shop you're going through. And so, I mean, just the fact that that the secretary was in Maine listening is, I think, is a positive reflection of the administration's approach. And uh, you know, I you know, I'm I'm one of those, and I, I've opposed that monument designation but uh, i also recognize that it's here and uh you know that's, that's my comment what about you hannah about interior yeah i mean i agree i think obviously you think he has made some changes to or proposed some changes to to maine's monument but clearly saw the value of it when he came to maine and talked to businesses and people um i mean i think he has been a little more radical in other parts of the country in terms of of some of these monuments and parks. And clearly I think Mainers reacted pretty negatively to the whole doubling the cost of going to Acadia and other national parks next summer. So there's been some debate, but of, of all the cabinet nominees, I think Zinke was a, I don't agree with a lot of what he's doing, but he's a member of Congress who seems slightly more grounded in reality than, than I think some of the other cabinet members seem really really off in right field. Would you like to, you know, name one that we haven't already talked about, Hannah, as your nominee for the most negative impact? Uh, the most, probably Scott Pruitt, I'd say most negative impact. On at EPA? I mean, I think that Betsy DeVos, I think, is the most out there, but the Department of Education, education, especially after the federal law passed, changed last year, is very much devolved to the state. So she has had a negative impact, and she can have a very negative impact, but I think that is not as impactful an agency when it comes to what it could do in the state of Maine, whereas I think some of the, the activity in the in the EPA is, is significant. It's a major departure from where we were in terms of enforcing environmental laws and, and pretty devastating. Yeah, I'm completely the opposite. No surprise. I think the fact that Pruitt is uh, streamlining the permitting process and giving people predictability, stability, and reliability is, is, is one of the causal links to the uh, economic boost that we've had. I think the economy is thriving. 
and certainly improved from the Obama administration. And, you know, with respect to education, I mean, I, I, I reject that, that somebody is extreme because they support charter schools and vouchers and school choice. And, and the fact of the matter is that this, this secretary, DeVos, has uh, looked at different pathways to success and, and promoting vocational education and vocational training and, and moving people, if appropriate, to a community college and uh, vocational uh, career and uh, to recognizing that that's part of a sort of a mix in education that's been neglected from at least the federal approach. What actions has she been able to take as secretary that are actually having an effect in education in Maine? Well, I mean, you know, as we are still in the, the very beginning stages of, of the administration, uh, it, it's really about the approach and the signaling. I mean, we don't even have, uh, you know, budgets that are passing through with, with, with strings or no strings now. It's, it's, it's still too early, but it's, it's, it's a mindset that, that's had an impact. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. I think that DeVos has definitely sent signals of, of, of her support for, for uh, private for-profit universities for sort of she's rolled back some of the reforms that Obama was was trying to impact her comments on or her I think her actual rollback on uh, the way allegations of sexual assault are made on universities. I mean, that's obviously been a big controversy, but her actual impact on the ground in the state of Maine, very minimal because really the federal government, other than funding, doesn't play a very important role in especially in Maine's K-12 education system. They the Secretary of Education could do a lot, but we haven't seen that in a while. I mean, I, obviously Obama did a fair amount in his first couple of years, but then really pulled back. Yep. You're tuned to the Democracy Forum on WERU. This is Ann Luther, the League of Women Voters of Maine. Our guests this morning are Hannah Pingree, a Democrat, former Speaker of the House in Maine, now co-host of the Maine event on Maine Public Television. And we're also joined by Josh Tardy, a Republican lobbyist and attorney who served as chair of the 2016 Trump campaign in Maine. Um, we're talking about 10 months in, the effect of the new Trump administration in Maine, what policies and actions have actually landed and having an effect on Maine people. We've sort of been going through some of the top-line cabinet departments and figuring out what's been real, what's been talk, what's been actual, what's been um, anticipated. I want to refer for a moment now to a, a recent article in Vanity Fair, and it wasn't the only one, but that article in writing elsewhere, is contending that there have been too few appointments to these major agencies and those who are appointed are ill-qualified or uninterested in their department functions, that appointments are way behind previous administrations and that this is having an effect on whether the departments can actually do their jobs. Is this something that we're actually seeing have an effect here in Maine? Is it playing out? So, I mean, first of all, the source, it's a vanity fair, and uh, take take the source there. It's a, you know, I would say that's a left-wing entertainment <laughs> magazine, and uh, I wouldn't expect they do anything but criticize the president. But, look, we've, we've seen administrations uh, and transitions, and, and we know that there are sometimes some clumsy uh, transition processes, but uh, I, in particular, have been honored to serve on uh, Senator Collins' uh, Federal Appointments Advisory Committee, and we've tried to assist the senator as she makes recommendations to the Trump administration on key appointments. And and the fact of the matter is these positions are getting filled. 
I reject the assertion that, that these are ill-advised, ill-qualified, or, or, or and I think these are, are great Americans trying to make America great. And uh, sorry for the rhetoric, but, uh, you know, this notion that that uh, people are uninterested in, in decent transitions of power, it's just a, it's just a frivolous assertion. What do you think? Well, Ann? I take it slightly. I don't. I I think that you know, Vanity Fair aside, I think that I honestly don't think that Donald Trump completely expected to win. I don't think he had uh, staff around him when he was running or when he was elected who were prepared to govern. And I think you've seen that play out since he's been inaugurated. That they were not prepared to run all these agencies. Some of them they don't really even know that much about or care about, and so the speed at which people have been appointed and some of the quality of the nominees, I think, indicates their kind of lack of interest in government and governing. And I think Donald Trump probably wouldn't even agree, wouldn't disagree with some of that. I mean, he is not a supporter of big government. He has, the people who support him are not in favor of a lot of, you know, traditional American roles. Like, I think one of the areas where the Trump administration has been most criticized is um, the Department of State, and that has been an area where many, many positions have not been filled. The secretary has indicated he may never fill them. He wants the uh, department to shrink, and I think that impacts significantly U.S. foreign policy around the world in a way in which we might not know about today in Maine. We may not feel the effects next year, but I think it will significantly diminish uh, our foreign policy around the world, the relationships we have with other countries, and that will have long-term impacts. I mean, I think you certainly see the lack of appointments play out in kind of how the depart how the administration makes progress. But I, I think internationally, that's probably the the most dangerous and the most damaging spot. Go ahead, Josh. Well, another area of appointments that that I have a concern about is in the area of judicial nominees. And uh, I think, you know, the the president's put forward some very qualified nominees and they're sort of being delayed procedurally. I saw a stat that uh, the first six months of uh, office, President Obama had four times as many nominees confirmed to the judiciary as as Trump. And uh, I think the Washington Post has even stated that the Trump's judicial nominees uh, are historically long, I think was the quote that I read, uh, as far Slow as delay, uh, delayed in, in, in actually acting on the nominations through the confirmation process, is my understanding. So, I mean, look, transitions, are, uh, you know, I, I was certainly aware of some clumsiness in the, in, in the early stages of the Obama as, as it related to main appointments, uh, you know, this... Uh, the, the vetting and the background and, and, and trying to figure out what you do when you come into office, when you're an outsider. I get all of that. Uh, but I do know, as it relates to main appointments, that the Trump administration is working with Senator Collins, and, and they have worked hard and are, and, the, and are filling positions that are regionally appointed with main people who are very interested in doing their jobs. Can I just comment on that? I, 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 I don't. I can't really comment. Josh is much more on the know on some of the small, like the SBA and other nominations that are made in Maine. But on the ju- issue of judicial nominations, I mean, I am I am not an expert, but obviously the Senate has changed their rule their rules with regard to judicial holds. I think Trump is actually really accelerating 
his process of appointing judicial nominees. Obviously, it already seems like a distant memory, but the Supreme Court nominee and that process as it played out with Obama, with Garland, versus how it played out in a Republican administration, very different and disturbing. And, you know, just this week there's this debate around a, a federal court nominee who has never tried a case, who failed to disclose that his wife actually worked in the White House, who the American Bar Association has deemed not qualified. So I think I would actually take the total opposite opinion of Josh, that I think that the judicial appointment process under Trump is one of the more frightening things, one of the more frightening areas where Trump could really change the judiciary fairly rapidly, and and he appears on track to do that. So what observations can we make about how the presidential election changed the calculus for the two major parties in Maine? Do you see the way the Republican and the Democratic parties in Maine are um, positioning themselves for the 2018 election as being different because of how things went in 2016? Good question. So historically... uh the party not in control of the White House uh, in, in the off-year elections makes makes some gains, and uh, I think we saw a little bit of that uh, in the in the Virginia election. You saw that uh, the Democrat winner polled by a couple points better than Hillary had done in the uh, Hillary Clinton had done in the presidential race, and so you see some of that and. Uh, but look, we we we've had uh, in our going into our eighth year, Paula Page and and his populist appeal. Uh, I think will will continue forward and and sort of inform the next election. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's divisive times uh, at the at the federal level. You you hope that Maine can get out of that type of style politics. It seems like in the last. Six, six, seven years, we've seen it be more polarizing in Augusta, certainly more polarizing than when Hannah and I were there. I mean, mm-hmm. Hannah and I disagreed every day, but we seem to get along, notwithstanding those disagreements. And You're so, doing all right today. <laughs> uh, you know, she's tough on me sometimes, though. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I, compl- I agree with Josh. I think, specifically in Maine, I think that 2018 will be an interesting year. I think... I think that people on both sides of the aisle and independents are frustrated with politics. They're angry. They're angry about the status of things, whether it's you're a you know, Bernie Democrat or you're the Trump Republican. I think anger and frustration at the state of the world seems to be uh, seems to be kind of dominating our politics. And it's and it's not I, I don't actually disagree with people who are angry about the state of politics and progress in this country. I just think people People's anger is all over the map politically in terms of what kind of solutions they believe should be put in place. I mean, I think 2018, the Democrats are, you know, probably rightly criticized for being somewhat disjointed and all over the map. But I think they're working hard to have a more cohesive message. And I think Trump's lack, his his unbelievable unpopularity, I think, will play out in the state of Maine and and it will be very positive for people not running as Republicans, whether they're independents or Democrats or or members of the Green Party, because I think people want to change. And that's not good for for Josh's party, and it's not necessarily an indication of what 
Josh Tardy or Roger Cates or Mike Thibodeau believe, but I think that will I think national politics play out much more than you might expect when it comes to to local elections, but there certainly are anomalies. Um, I think that I think anger and frustration will probably continue to dominate our politics, but I'm a hundred percent with Josh. I hope our next governor, uh, regardless of who it is, can find a way to make Maine's politics less like Washington's politics, um, because I think LePage has has had an era of of pretty uh, dysfunctional government um, in Maine, and I think the legislature has worked around him and actually been fairly effective. So do you I think, think the, oh, you know, the raw political, you know, the, the raw politics of it are that, uh, you know, where are working class blue collar so-called Democrats, where, where is their vote going to go? Is it going to go to a, a progressive Democratic agenda or is it going to go to a Republican who advances a pro-jobs, pro-economy, you know, lower taxes agenda? And, you know, we, we know that one of the reasons Donald Trump is president is because, you know, he, he got his market share of the blue-collar labor Democrats. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that plays out in Maine. Do you think that people in Maine are more civically engaged since the 2016 election, just very quickly? I mean, Maine is a pretty civically engaged state, and we have some of the highest voter turnout in the country. So in presidential elections, people pay attention and they turn out across the political spectrum. I think what you saw in Virginia is probably to remain. I mean, I believe that that Democrats and independents and people frustrated with this president are more civically engaged right now. And I think you'll, you'll probably see more Republicans who voted for Trump or even independents who voted for Trump who are frustrated that he has not brought the change that they were hoping for, has not brought the tone or respect to Washington that they were hoping for. So I, I think that more of them will sit it out. But in Maine, referendums bring people out in in interesting ways, and I think the 2018 election still hasn't taken shape, and, and who's on the ballot and, and who they're speaking to will, will make a big difference. Hey, now we're almost out of time. I want to give you each just a, uh, a moment to very briefly make a final comment. Uh, Josh? Listen, I, I think uh, first 10 months of the Trump administration were safer. Our borders are more secure. Law enforcement has a, a, an upgraded morale. Uh, I think they've been told to just go out and do their jobs, sort of the Bill Belichick model, and, uh, and our economy's up. So the first 10 months is an A. What about you, Hannah? <laughs> Josh and I, sometimes we can find common ground, but I would say uh, Donald Trump is the most disrespectful, the uh, least understanding of our system of democracy, the most negative, the most immature the least effective uh, governing president probably, certainly in my lifetime, but potentially in our country's history. And I think that will continue to play out. I wish it was not the case, but I really hope that Maine and our state politics can find a way to move away from this kind of political debate that is certainly infecting Washington. Hey, we are out of time. Thank you so much to our guest this morning, Hannah Pingree, a Democrat, former Speaker of the House, now co-host of the main event on Maine Public Television, Josh Tardy, a long-serving legislator, a Republican minority leader in the House, now a lobbyist and attorney. 
served as chair of the 2016 Trump campaign. Thank you so much for participating in our program this morning. You've been listening to the Democracy Forum, a project of the League of Women Voters Down East, produced in cooperation with WERU-FM. Thank you this morning to Amy Brown, our engineer at WERU. Thank you to our listeners. Our website is lwvme.org for more information about this topic or to learn about other shows in the series. Happy holidays, everyone. We're taking December and January off. The Democracy Forum will be back in February. We'll see you here then.